0: In the no man's land right now, in that season before, <coughs> before Christmas, and I do uh, get a kick out of the Facebook posts. Those of you that have caused snow are because you put up your Christmas decorations early. I understand that. I was clean of guilt until yesterday when my wife suggested that I begin the process of getting ready for the holidays. Um, it's that time between Halloween and Christmas, and there's a holiday in the middle that often gets lost, and that's Thanksgiving. So for the next three weeks, I want to talk to you about how the Grinch stole Thanksgiving rather than how the Grinch stole Christmas. There was an article I read I found kind of interesting. said retailers are stealing Thanksgiving. The holiday is now officially spent. <coughs> excuse me, shopping or standing out In the cold, all in hopes of saving $100 on some big screen TV. Gone is the time with family, relaxing day of food and fun. The biggest sales are offered at the very time most are sitting down to Thanksgiving dinner or grabbing their pumpkin pie or their pecan pie, editorial comment. So many make the eating much earlier and rush out to make it to these sales. Unfortunately, there is no bah humbug meter available large enough to change this but we strongly suspect retailers have put the grinch in thanksgiving everybody loves the holidays there's nothing wrong with picking out your halloween costume and wishing for a white christmas however in this day and age we skip from halloween to christmas tv plays costume advertisements and before we know it the christmas tunes and sales are going up we're celebrating the christmas we're celebrating christmas far too early let's at least have a good thanksgiving meal first okay you may not agree with that, and you may live for Black Friday, and I just say, God bless you. (laughs) I went out once, felt like my life was threatened, and I'd rather not give you a gift than experience that again. So you can do whatever you want with that. I do know the holidays are busy, time moves fast, and I'm not nearly as concerned this morning about what you do with the Thanksgiving holiday, and retail Grinches who have stolen that, according to some writers, I'm more concerned about Thanksgiving being stolen from our hearts. That we live in an environment that gratitude is being eroded away, and when gratitude is eroded away, there's no basis for Thanksgiving. There was an article done by Rebecca Solomon at Washington University, that studied from a secular perspective what causes people to lose gratitude and then not be thankful. The result of this secular study was that there are three things that I'll call three Grinches that steal away from us gratitude, and those are narcissism, cynicism, and materialism. And the study said that when these thieves of thankfulness grow, gratitude goes down. Narcissism is a Thanksgiving Grinch that we're going to look at this morning, the Grinch of Narcissism. How many of you have heard the Greek myth about a young man named Narcissus? Let me see your hands. Narcissus, you have. Okay, A few more than first service. I'm surprised. So glad that you could come to Brienne today where I could educate you in <laughs> mythological lore. <laughs> there was a young boy named Narcissus who was especially attractive was described as having a face appearing to be chiseled from perfect marble and a neck as smooth as polished, unblemished ivory. Many were attracted to him, but he found no interest in anyone else. One day, at the age of 16, he saw his reflection in a pool of water while he was getting a drink and was so enamored by his own reflection in the water that he refused to leave. He stayed there long enough until the earth absorbed him and flowers began to grow in his place that we call the narcissus flower. From that story the term narcissist describes those that are in love with their own image. People that are taken up with themselves. Now there is a serious condition called narcissistic personality disorder but I think it's part of the fallen nature that all of us deal with some form of narcissism in some fashion or another that you become the most important person in your world. Let me give you a little description of what a narcissist is. A narcissist believes that they're better than others. Here's what happens when you think you're better than others. Gifts become entitlements. I deserve this. Therefore, I have no reason to be thankful. Probably many of you have the same story or a story similar to mine when I was in elementary school my parents asked me to make a Thanksgiving list and how many remember the Sears Roebuck catalog (laughs) so I grabbed the catalog and I thought I was going to list all the things that I would like not all that I expected all that I would like so I had this long list of options my dad thought that those were the things I wanted for Christmas and I got the talk not that one but this one (laughs) So I said, what? <laughs> no, that was a different time. <laughs> this talk was, my dad said, I was, he was really poor growing up, and he said, we didn't even have a football to play football. We would take grass, stuff it in a sock, and sew the end of it shut and throw that around the yard, and so I don't want you to think. And then I, it dawned on me. I was just, okay, okay, I'm just, now I'm just hopeful I don't get a sock full of grass for Christmas, We begin to look at gifts as being deserved. Narcissists have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration. They're followed by troubled relationships and a lack of empathy for others. They can't experience what others feel because they're only taken up with what they feel. They have excessive ambition and grandiose fantasies about their own successes. They believe they're going to someday be something great even though they're not doing much in the present. A young man, married man with children, came into my office one day, and we were talking about spiritually what God was doing in his life. And I said, well, you need, to, you need to know what the will of God is for your life. He said, I already know that. I said, what is that? And he said, well, God has told me that I will be one of the two witnesses of the book of Revelation. <laughs> so I already know who one of them is, and for 50 bucks, I will tell you. I said to him, then you better be a witness today. I didn't know what else to say. People that think they're going to travel the world that aren't doing anything in the present, grandiose ideas. But here's the one that captures it the best. If I ever leave, this church will close. That's a narcissist. If I ever retire, this building will have to cease to exist. That's a narcissist. It all revolves around you. So I want to talk about how to defend against that. How do we guard against narcissism? What are the safeguards? And I don't think there's a better place to see what a narcissist looks like than in Luke chapter 18. I'd like you to turn there and just follow along this story with me. In Luke 18, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. How do we deal with narcissism? And I'm going to say to you, all of us have some element of that. How do we deal with that and make sure it doesn't steal our gratitude and our thankfulness? Well, I think the first mark or the first uh, um, strategy is to desire healthy community. Healthy community is the one of the greatest guards against becoming narcissistic. The Bible says the Pharisee stood up in verse 11 and prayed about Himself. That's how the NIV rendered it. It's amazing how many people think that God needs to hear your resume while you pray, all the things that you've accomplished. Now, there are other ways to translate that than prayed about himself. One says he prayed to himself. Uh, another one says that he stood by himself and prayed. What does that mean? It means that he was so good that he didn't want to be associated with the other people, so he stood off by himself when he prayed. Another translation says that standing erect he prayed as follows, and the message says the Pharisee posed and prayed. In any of those, you capture a person who's coming to God apart from association with anybody else because he's too good to be with them and God should be pleased that he has come. Narcissism can enjoy community. There's too much competition for attention. There's too much challenge that they're not able to share their story. It's the antithesis of community to be narcissistic. God, I'm here, and it is all about me. Let me tell you that the world is pretty small when you're the only one in it that matters. The world is pretty small when you're the only one in it that matters. Faith was intended by God to be experienced in community, not in isolation. John chapter 13, I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. This is how all men will know that you're my disciples. We're to love one another, that's community. In John 17, his high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed not only for those in his day, but also for those who will believe in me through their word and so that they may all be one that there would be community ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 where one alone may be overcome two together can resist a threefold cord is not easily broken psalm 133 how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity first john chapter 1 verse 7 if we walk in the light not if you walk in the light and while i believe there is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This promise isn't to you as an individual, it's to us as a community. If we walk in the light, and if we have fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us corporately from all unrighteousness. Hebrews chapter 10, we must consider how to rouse one another to love and good works. We should not stay away from our assembly as the custom of some, but encourage one another. And this all the more as you see the day drawing near. And 2 Corinthians chapter 3, all of us with unveiled face on the uh, on the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the image uh, from glory to glory as from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, together we're being changed. So the idea is God intended that faith be experienced in community. And I'm suggesting that community then challenges that narcissistic self-serving attitude you can't live in community and it be all about you you can't you can't live in community and it be all about you think about the changes that happen in the normal progression of life some of you how many of you are currently single and all right how many of you are married how many of you have no idea what I'm even talking about? I always get about half of you. I'm really really—I'm not, I'm not really sure if I'm single or married. You better figure that out, okay, before you leave. <laughs> kind of get that settled. But I remember being single and thought my life was complicated. <laughs> but when I was single, <laughs> I really could kind of run my own life. Can I tell you? This is going an entirely different direction my wife's from this morning, but it's okay. It's okay. When I was single and I was working at a golf course, I had this moment. I had gotten my first paycheck, and I'm on my way home, and I stopped at Dairy Queen, and I had a slushy float, a cherry slushy float. I didn't have to... I felt so liberated in that moment. <laughs> Nobody... I didn't have to, anybody's permission, and I had money to pay for it. It was... Like the cool moment. And then you get married. (laughs) And it gets complicated. I was shocked to discover that my wife has opinions that are not the same as mine, (laughs) that that she sees life differently. It got complicated. And here's the deal. If your marriage is gonna stay together, it can't be all about you. It can't be, and you've got to die to yourself. And about the time you get that mastered, then you get kids. And I'm telling you, for a family to stay together with kids, there are a lot of changes have to happen in the house. A lot of things have to be different. It is really hard to get your children to believe it really is all about you. It's really hard to get them to see that because they think it's all about them and life changes. So those same changes that have to happen for a family to be healthy have to happen in community. You can have one or two people together, but when you add to that, it gets complicated. I just talked to a friend on the phone yesterday that um, I had counseled with over the years, a non-AG pastor. I've been to his church to give direction and counsel his church. And while I was there, we were talking about vision and moving forward into the future and reaching new people. And the response was really positive. In fact, one of the guys said, I wish you could come and we could share this with the whole church. And so they began to move forward with the vision And as they move forward with the vision, the idea of new people coming began to trouble some people, and so the board had an illegal meeting asking for his resignation. You see what happened? Oh, it's a great vision until you begin to do it, and then people come in, and a church that is all about you is one that cannot prosper. Community means that we have to give up some things and gain some things in order to move forward in what God has called us to. That's why we are to confess our faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. It's why we're to provoke one another to love and good works. Community means that we knock the edges off each other and we do what's necessary. Community destroys narcissism if you're going to stay in community. Second, you need to develop a heart of humility. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully here. There's a fine line that creeps into the Christian experience that I want you to get a hold of. I am thankful that I am not a drug addict. I am, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I've never been drunk. I'm thankful that I've never been high on anything other than Jesus. I'm thankful that I'm not an adulterer. I'm thankful my wife's not an adulterer. I'm thankful I'm not a thief. I'm thankful I don't have to look over my shoulder at people that are coming after me. I'm thankful because living a biblical lifestyle is a better way to live. You still with me? But there's a fine line one thing to be thankful I'm not a drug addict. It's another thing to be thankful um, that I'm better than the drug addict over there. Oh, we slide over that line all the time. We may not say it. The fact that I've never been drunk can cause me to look with disdain at somebody else who can't get their life in order. Those are not the same. And when you get into place that you're no longer thankful for how he has blessed you, you're thankful that he has blessed you above some others around you, and you begin to think you're better than they are, you've become a Pharisee, you've become a narcissist. It's all about you. And this Pharisee is praying to himself, standing apart, saying, I'm glad I'm not like those people. It's one thing to say I'm glad that I'm not a drug addict. It's another thing I'm glad I'm not like those drug addicts. Those are not the same. I love uh, reading Facebook. In fact, I'm thinking about doing a year-long series on stupidity on Facebook. <laughs> I love the meme that says, Facebook has never caused the blind to see, but it sure has caused the dumb to speak. <laughs> <laughs> And so in one of the groups I'm in, we're in this argument, or I'm not in it, I'm stepping back. I've learned to pick my battles and I'm not going to fight on Facebook. And uh, they're having this argument, are you a sinner saved by grace or are you a child of God? You can't be both. How can you say you're a child? Don't ever say you're a sinner saved by grace. Don't ever say that. Don't admit you're a sinner. You're not. You're new. You're a new creation. You are a saint of God. And it's going back and forth and I think that the way to answer that is with scripture. I read where Paul wrote to his young son of the faith, Timothy. And here's what he said. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Not I was the worst, but I am the worst. What am I? I am a child of God. And I love when we sing this song, I am who you say that I am, but you better be careful how you sing it. It's not I am who he says I am. It's I am who he says I am. This focus on ourselves, this focus that we are really something today. You need to remember where you came from. And some of us are like me that have a testimony that's a little different than others. I used to think that in order to have a great testimony uh, you had to graduate from Teen Challenge. I hadn't murdered anybody. So one night just for fun on a Sunday night I created a testimony. I let people know that from the time I was a child I had an alcohol problem. I started drinking when I was, in, uh, when I was about three years old. Alcohol. Drinking beer. Now the truth of that story is and some of you think I've noticed that it's cool now to roll up the cuff of your jeans. Does anybody have those rolled up, the cuffs? That's not cool. My dad did that. <laughs> Come on, You just haven't been around long enough to know. You're, you're back in the 50s, pal. You're not in the present day. And in the front, they're all around. My dad and they have their legs crossed. And the reason, it was a reason to have those cuffs. You... <laughs> flick the ashes into the cuff of your pants because who needed ashtrays? That's what jeans are for. And you'd flick them in there. And my dad was in the front room. You yeah, have the sleeves rolled up because that's where you kept the cigarettes that you're going to flick into your ashes, into your, uh, the, the jeans. And my dad called me over. He's sitting there with a bunch of his friends and I couldn't have been over two or three. And he said, uh, Hey, Gary, come here. Well, do you want to have a drink? So I don't remember which brand it was. But he called me over and gave me a sip of beer out of his beer can probably the best thing he ever did for me He'd call it child abuse today but it probably was the best thing he ever did for me because i'd never had anything in my life that had fizz so whatever was in that can was jumping up and biting me on the nose and then i took a taste of it and the last time i tasted something like that is when i threw up in my mouth It was horrible tasting anybody hearing what i'm saying you know it's like i have no desire so my drug, my beer experience lasted one sip. I used to smoke grass. I don't know if you knew that. Not, not marijuana, actual grass. <laughs> I, I, I did one day in junior high, and I thought, what's this smoking thing all about? yard. there was some grass there that was brown. Went and got some toilet paper, rolled it up in there like a, you know, like <laughs> Like a joint. And then lit the end, found some matches, smoked it, burned my fingers, and I was done. I don't, I don't want a cigarette. If it's anything like smoking yard clippings, I don't want anything to do with that. So, so my testimony isn't powerful. I really thought I'd have to kill somebody to be able to tell anybody about Jesus. And I read, the scripture really bothered me when I'd read that he that is forgiven much loves much and he that's forgiven little loves little and i and i would say to god that's not fair that's not not fair i've not been forgiven a lot i mean i haven't done a lot so i guess i have to go on this campaign of crime so i can come back to you and have a testimony and learn how to love you i was really angry one day at the altar i'm in bible college thinking this just isn't fair i wasn't a bad kid i didn't get into trouble um And it seems like God speaks most clearly to me when I'm ticked off. I don't know why that is. And I saw a picture. We had uh, an acreage, barn animals, and I pictured a piece of wood that had been in the mud for a long time. The wood had begun to rot. How many know what I'm talking about? And when you pick that up, what are you going to find under it? Worms, bugs, crawly things, nasty stuff and I saw it pop up and I heard God say all of what other people have done has been in your heart in seed form the only difference between you and the murderer and the adulterer and the thief is you didn't have opportunity but the seed was all there And you are just as guilty. From that day to this, I understood how much I've been forgiven. Are you hearing me now? How much I've been forgiven and I can love much because I understand what I've been forgiven. And when you feel pretty good about yourself, that the platform of spirituality that you've arrived at is pretty high, don't forget where you came from. You were a broken, dying sinner bent for hell, and Jesus redeemed you, and we need to remember that from time to time to keep our hearts humble. Humility is a really difficult thing to grab. Paul warns us about comparing ourselves by ourselves, and he does it with this story. Now, stay with me. I want to get us to a place of what humility is about. It's a wonderful story, about the man hiring to serve in his vineyard. And I'm gonna use him out hundred dollars because we'll be able to relate to that more than the denarius. So he went out at the crack of dawn to hire people for his business. And he said, I'll pay you a hundred bucks a day if you'll work all day in my vineyard. And they said, Yes. Well, time went on. He saw it wasn't gonna be get done in time. So at the third hour he went out and he hired some more and said, If you'll work for me the rest of the day, I'll give you a hundred dollars. And he went out at the sixth hour and found some more and said, hey, if you'll come work for me, I'll give you $100. And they were excited. They were happy. They came, but still wasn't going to get done. So he went out at the ninth hour, and then he said, I'll pay you $100. And then he went out at the 11th hour, one hour left. I'll pay you $100 if you'll come work for me. Now watch. They were all satisfied and happy with the pay they were offered until they found out what somebody else got and it's not fair it's not right they don't have a right to be paid the same that I've been paid I've worked all day long the problem we get arrogance narcissism is when we begin to compare ourselves by ourselves and feel like somebody got a better deal look You were glad when he saved you. You were glad when he redeemed you. You were glad when he blessed you. And don't focus on what someone else gets in comparison with what you've gotten because you don't know the whole story. You don't know the whole story. You've heard part of our testimony, part of our story, and I don't like to revisit it, but I do want to do it here. I was at a youth convention after our son Josh had passed away. And they told about a woman a mother who was in a wheelchair that god healed and raised up and everybody's on their feet cheering and it made me mad god you gave them healing but you wouldn't give us healing why did you give it to them you must not love me enough must not love us as much you ever been there that's the heart of a narcissist and i said i need something you've got to give me something And this is what I heard him say And I don't care if you don't like what I'm going to say I don't care if it doesn't fit in your theology And if you confront me afterwards I will become even more a narcissist (laughs) Don't mess with me on this one I heard God say What would happen in your family That you're praying for That are away from God What would happen if I would healed your son?" I said, well, honestly, in a couple of years, it would have been completely forgotten. If you completely restored it, nobody would talk about that. And he said to me, I determined that your family will give an account on the day of judgment for the witness of a young man who looked death square in the face and keep his faith and confidence in God, and they will answer for his testimony. And it's not up to you to determine how I order my kingdom. I'll never forget sitting on his bed, and I said, Josh, said, I, Dad, I, I want to talk to you. I think I'm really glad if this had to happen, it happened to me, to him. And I said, Why is that? He said, well, Tiffany is just so little, she wouldn't understand. And Crystal is younger, is a girl. She might not be strong enough. Sorry, ladies, he was little. (laughs) Anyway. And he said, if it happened to mom, who would take care of us? And dad, if it happened to you, who would pay our bills? So I've decided that if God is going to take us through the valley, he said, I'm glad he chose me. I don't know what world you're living in. But I understood humility in a whole new way that day. That it's not about us, it's about his purpose, it's not about our comfort, it's about his kingdom. And someday everything will make sense. But as long as you compare what someone else gets by what you get, you'll never have gratitude. And it destroys us because it's narcissism that says, you gave it to them, you owe it to me. Whatever hour of the day you started to work for him, you were glad then. Be glad now. Be glad now. Humility is not thinking less about yourself. It's about thinking about yourself less. C.S. Lewis said it's not about thinking less of you. It's about thinking of you less. That it's not about you anymore. It's not about what you get or don't get. It's about the Lord of the harvest and the building of his kingdom. True humility takes you out of the center and puts jesus there third and related to it then is we have to learn to depend upon the mercy of god the tax collector stood at a distance he wouldn't even look up to heaven but beat his breast (laughs) and said god have mercy on me a sinner and this is what jesus said so no, no, you can't do that. Lift up your head. You know who you are. Champion that. This man is standing there with his head smiting his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified. The Pharisee was relying on the fact that he tithed, that he fasted. Works-based salvation is narcissistic. When you begin to believe you deserve the blessing of god I tithe so he should bless me I'm faithful so he should bless me all the other things you pile in that's narcissism It's about you that I earned the blessing of god and the sinner recognized the publican recognized that he hadn't It's not about you or your victories about him and his power You can't be good enough to go to heaven You can't be good enough to go to heaven And if you're serving for that purpose, stop it. Because it's not about you. It's about loving him and serving him. And the test is, (laughs) oh, I hate this. I hate this message. It's too real. Do you know what mercy is? It's when somebody doesn't get the judgment that's coming to them. Have you ever, don't raise your hand, act as though you're not hearing anything I'm saying, like right now. But have you ever been mad because somebody didn't get punished to the extent you thought they should? That's a narcissist. Because those of us who have been broken are thankful for anyone, for any reason, that doesn't have to go through the judgment of God. That doesn't mean that we let people off the hook and remove the consequence, but we rejoice in mercy. We rejoice in mercy. We all have a fallen nature. We're all bad. We were having a conversation yesterday at our house, and Tiffany and Jotham were there. And you know how, if you ever pet the head of a kid, you know, you just kind of, and I was kind of stroking his head, and um, something was said about like you're petting a dog, and she said, I've come to understand that raising a child is a lot like raising a dog but one of them has a sin nature and it's not the dog (laughs) (laughs) from the littlest from the littlest if you've served him all of your life you ought to rejoice in the deathbed of deathbed confession of someone who slips into the kingdom because it's about mercy he God hath shown you O oh man what is good and what does the Lord require of you two th- three things but two that are intention to do justly and to love justice no to do justly and love consequence no to do justly you live right and love mercy <laughs> this thing isn't for wimps i'm telling you to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your god <laughs> I, I, I i i i i can't tell you i'm good at that someone cuts in front of me in line I want to love justice. (laughs) Cut me off in traffic. I wish I had my old 66 Ford Comet with a cast iron bumper. I'll teach you to cut me off in traffic. (laughs) Is anybody hearing me? I'm not telling you I'm doing this thing. I'm telling you where I'm headed, not where I've arrived. But to love mercy. When God glad to be his ambassador. (laughs) That's when you do it from afar. Oh, but when you get up right next to them, you can't feel that way anymore. I I don't want God to smack someone upside the them to experience his mercy. I want the goodness of God to lead them to repentance. But too many of us feel like, I didn't get off, they shouldn't either. That's narcissism. And then you think it's owed to you. And you can't be thankful. The Grinch that needs to die is the Grinch of narcissism. Defeated by community, we have to live our lives together. Defeated by humility, thinking about you less and loving mercy. John said it this way: He must increase, and I must decrease. So I'm going to give an altar call. We ask all the narcissists to come to the altar. <laughs> You know what's funny about that? A real narcissist would come running. (laughs) Oh, gather around, pray for me, pray for me. (laughs) But, But all of us who are not yet perfect have elements of narcissism that destroys gratitude that causes thankfulness to evaporate. So for just a moment, I'd like for us to stand. Can you take a moment to just shut yourself in with God and pray this prayer in your own way? Jesus, show me where in my life it needs to be less about me and more about you. Less about me and more about others. Where am I Where's my pain coming from that's out of a self-focus? Where does that in me need to change? Just right now, ask him to show you. We're going to be thankful. We have to deal with narcissism. you do that with community? Love us enough to talk to us. Show us those hidden places where (laughs) we have hidden our narcissism in robes of self-righteousness. Strip it from us. Strip off the clothes of self-righteousness and help us see the narcissism where it grows. And let us become more like you. That loves him said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Turn and greet someone. Would you be an encouragement to someone?